The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we'll start with the sitting again.
And I'd like to offer some reflections, some questions for you to consider as part of this sitting. And these are wisdom reflections. Call upon your understanding. Whatever way you can come to some understanding. In considering whether something is taking what's not given or considering whether to take what is not given. In what ways can you take into account the consequences or possible consequences before the decision? How does anticipating consequences support the practice of not taking what is not given. What are some of the possible consequences for others that you should take into account when you're considering the consequences of taking things? What are some of the consequences to take into account in terms of yourself in contemplating taking something?
And then I'll ask you a question <clears throat> that um, if you give yourself any time to think about the answer, you probably will find it too difficult to really know, or you might find it difficult. But rather than thinking about the answer, give yourself a chance to have a, for an answer to bubble up as a first answer. Even if it's wrong, let it bubble up in response. When you think, when you think about the consequences of your actions, do you more often think in terms of the consequences on yourself or the consequences on others? So, <clears throat> our topic is the precept of not taking what is not given. And we're looking at it through the perspective of what's called the three trainings. 
the training in ethics itself, which is generally understood to be uh, restraint-based. We just simply restrain ourselves to, uh, to live by the rule, restrain ourselves from breaking the precept. The world would be a much better place if there was more restraint. The second is uh, training-based, meaning that we cultivate ourselves so that there's a higher ethical sensitivity. Um, We're more sensitive, more empathic, more aware, more tuned in to ourselves, our motivations, our feelings, the impact, the consequences, the tension. We're much more aware of this whole field. Um, And uh, in doing that, there tends to be more information available, what's going on, and that increased amount of information then helps us make our ethical decisions, what we're going to do. So, um, for example, uh, at times in my life where I feel very empty in a good, beautiful way, uh, very uh, relaxed, open, uh, free, um, I can feel the difference that happens within me if I want to steal something, if I want to take something that was not given. It just, there has to, for me, there has to be a kind of contraction, a kind of tightening up, a kind of closing down, a kind of concern. And, um, and I'd rather stay in my wonderful freedom than not be free. Just, you know, just, I, you know, just, uh, so the more I train myself to be free, train myself to be aware, train myself to understand these different dimensions of my inner life, it tends to produce more ethical people, more ethical care in the world. So training, it doesn't require any kind of, in and of itself, rule. It doesn't require uh, reasoning or logic. It's mostly kind of this, it's kind of obvious because it's kind of part of the natural system. The third training is that in wisdom. And wisdom is a huge topic. And this can entail uh, the understanding that we have had from our practice and our life experience. It could also be our reasoning, our ability to think out and anticipate consequences and things. The um, understanding is something we carry with us uh, as we go through. Um, If we uh, stole something and now none of our friends trust us because they know we have a tendency to steal, then, you know, wow, gee, now I remember what the consequences are. I don't think I want to steal again. Um, or you stole happily uh, as, a, as a teenager until you became an adult, and you real, then only then did you realize the impact it had on the people you stole from. You just thought it was a fun thing to do, and not realizing uh, the tremendous difficulty you caused others. Uh, so you remember those understandings, you bring them with you, and so there's, they're, they're acquired understandings. And then there's reasoned understandings where we actually think things out and try to understand. The, uh, the heart of, I think, wisdom in Buddhism, um, in terms of our action, has to do with really understanding uh, two things. The consequences of our actions and the, and the source within us from where the actions come from. So the consequences of the actions is to, uh, uh, to first, uh, the basic uh, Buddhist idea of karma is that um, our actions have consequences and 
that we have an, uh, we can have an influence on what the consequences are by choosing what our actions are. That's a basic premise of Buddhist karma. And so being concerned with consequences is concerned with what hasn't happened yet, but what can happen. So a simplistic teaching, you're always supposed to be in the present moment, um, doesn't really allow for much ethical consideration. So what are the consequences of our action? Uh, some, co- some actions are, are harmless in and of themselves, but very harmful when they're done together with many, many other people. So, you know, as it says in my article, uh, one car driving in the Bay Area doesn't cause much, maybe any, environmental damage. But four million cars driving the Bay Area, the aggregate of all that smog creates damage in, um, in both health and in the environment. So if we look at the consequences, uh, we look at, you know, what, what do we look at? What do we understand? Um, and so there's two general areas where consequences can go. Uh, they can go to the world out there, to others, and they can go to ourselves. And uh, they can go to both at the same time, right? You can steal something from someone and cause someone else a lot of harm. My, I remember, it's very touching for me when my wife was, um, we lived in San Francisco, and uh, for the first time, uh, it happened a few times, but the first time uh, her car was broken into and someone stole, so I don't think it was anything to steal, but they broke in anyway. I think they tried to steal the car. There was, they were kind of messed up the key uh, ignition. Um, but um, even though nothing was stolen, for her, she felt violated. And that sense of being violated, something enter into her privacy of her world and enter, you know, she, you know, just kind of, uh, uh, it took a long time for her to kind of feel, you know, more comfortable in San Francisco again after that experience. It, has, it can have a big impact on someone. A teenager maybe doesn't think about that. Um, so what are the consequences in others? And how do we consider the consequences in others? How do we tune into that? How, how do we take that into account? And then what are the consequences on ourselves? Um, and then, the, uh, so those are really important. And the third one is, uh, where does, uh, what's the motivation, the source within us for unethical act- action? What's the source within us for taking what's not given? What are the motivations? What are the feelings? What are the beliefs that uh, happen within us? So part of the wisdom aspect is to understand these two things, the source and the consequence. Does that make sense? And there's one more part of wisdom. And that is, which takes thinking, it takes work. Buddhists are supposed to work too. And that is um, uh, to consider what's the alternative? Are there alternatives to what you're thinking of doing? Um, if you want to, I mean, the, 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 uh, that, you know, the, the, the common example of the pencil at work, right? The pencils weren't offered at work, but there's a lot of them there. And, you know, no one's going to notice and you need a pencil and you, you do office work at home, so it makes sense you have a pencil to take with you, and, but no one's offered it. So you can justify it. You don't think it's not going to have any consequences on my company. But then you consider, is there an alternative to taking what's not given, that I can have my needs met? The alternative might be very simple. It might be 
you go to your boss and say, you know, I'm going to be working at home today, but I don't have any pencils at home. <laughs> Do you have a solution? Take a pencil, please. It, you know, it doesn't take that much, right? That's a simple solution. Then you don't have to feel like, you know, imagine you took a pencil and you put it in your pocket and as you walk out the door, you know, your boss is there and they look in your pocket and they say, and they, you can see their eyes wondering, that has the company logo on it. <laughs> you know, you know what, what are you doing with that pencil? And you kind of, you know, blush. Um, maybe a silly example, but something like that, right? It might seem innocent enough until someone notices. So what I thought <coughs> we would do now <coughs> is do a wisdom exploration around this, around these four things. <coughs> There's uh, exploring what the consequences are. They're all having to do with taking what's not given. So what are the consequences to others? You know, what are the range and possible consequences to others in taking not what's not given? What's the possible range of consequences to oneself when one takes what's not given? What are the sources inside of you for the motivation, for the action of taking what's not given? And what are some of the alternatives you can think of from taking what's not given? So those are the four. And what I had in mind was to break into four groups. And each group has the task of coming up with some really good wisdom for the rest of us around these four different areas. You know, I mean, I know this is a huge, huge, huge topic that you can cover in many different ways. Just be content that you cover it the way you do. But each, of, each group is going to come back with an offering to the group as a whole around these, these four areas. Some deeper understanding, some more wisdom. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So I think it'll work if we have groups, uh, four groups of, I think, seven. Maybe one group of six. And um, so if you can please be sure to count accurately. So either six or seven. And I think it'll work out. And then we will, um, and then I'll go around and assign uh, each group uh, one of those four areas. So that way you can't pick and choose beforehand. So you can form, form your groups, maybe. So I, I didn't actually ask for there to be someone who was the reporter, but hopefully each group figured it out. Because you, you see, you're the, you're the one. So... Um, can we start with maybe um, the people who had a consequence to others? <clears throat> the conversation started with a consideration about stealing a pencil from a company that manufactures 100 million pencils a day and that loss of one pencil would be an insignificant cost to the owner. And then arose the, the consideration that that might be a very obscure and easily overlooked loss to the owner but that 
stealing that one pencil might be uh, setting an example for the other employees, which would then possibly magnify the loss to the owner. And then a consideration was made, we sort of a, a jump from the pencil factory to uh, an environment where uh, it's clear that pencils are freely offered and uh, consideration was given to then the effect on our colleagues of our taking something. And then it was dependent upon the culture of the community in which that occurred, uh, whether or not there were consequences. Because if it was generally accepted that the pencils are freely offered and everyone takes them, then there are no consequences. Um, But then... um, it sort of jumped to a situation where uh, the loss is more to us, the people considering the consequences, and then it became more an issue of considering the consequences to the thief of our uh, response to the loss. And then it became clear that we needed to consider a very much broader context um, not only immediate the consequences to the thief of our actions in response to the loss, to that person, their development, their family, their livelihood, but even on through generations. So it then became a very complicated conversation and uh, uh, taking two directions. One is uh, consequences to others to consider if you're the the thief or the potential thief, and then uh, consequences to others if you're the person transgressed against. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, that uh, there are many, many, many factors and subtle levels to consider. Um, And that the most important thing regarding consequences to others in whether in regard to taking what is not given, is to remember to consider consequences to others. Great. <clears throat> Thank you. That was wonderful. So now how about uh, consequence to self? Oh, uh, and your name also. I'm Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a really great discussion in which we sort of listed different types of consequences to yourself. Um, And starting with, you know, what we discussed in the previous session about, you know, experiencing it in the body, it feels bad. So there's that. And then if the behavior of taking um, what's not freely offered becomes habitual, sort of predicated on your doing it before, so you're going to do it again, and it sort of becomes a habit, leads to a sense of entitlement that will keep it going. Um, it leads to a loss of others' trust, which will affect you know, every relationship um, in life. Um, and as you, you know, take over and over and you come up with ways to justify your taking of what's not freely given, um, it really can lead to sort of an undermining of your confidence in yourself as you're coming up with 
you know, more and more reasons why this, you know, is okay. And, you know, so that sort of lack of the ability to discern, you know, leads to a lack, uh, you know, a lack of confidence in yourself. Um, it can lead, lead to a lot of regret. It's another issue we talked about. Um, and there's an there's a, an opportunity cost of not going with the alternatives. So another group is talking about, you know, what are the alternatives? So um, I think Beatrice gave the example of is, if there's someone who grew up with uh, not very much in their life materially and they take what's not given from someone who has a lot bec- and they justify it based on their upbringing and whatnot, you know, there's an opportunity cost that they didn't take a path of, you know, picking themselves up by their own bootstraps and making a better life for themselves where they would have more. So you look at the life of, you know, uh, the comparing sort of like a thief who continues to justify stealing versus someone who says, okay, I'm going to go find help and get an education and, and make a living for myself so that I can have these things, you know. So that there's this enormous opportunity cost of the alternatives. Um, and we talked about it being in the mind sort of like a self-perpetuating suffering machine of greed where, you know, the greed and the taking and the greed and the taking just sort of perpetuates. And we said it would also lead to sort of a blindness and a lack of understanding as you continue to come up with, you know, justifications. You know, you're sort of losing good touch with um, what's really going on. So that's what we talked about. Great. Thank you. So how about the sources? Sources within oneself for taking what's not given. Do you have the sources? So we kind of just had random uprisings of sources. So they range from kind of superficial to deep. Um, The first one was, eh, nobody's going to miss this. It's just a little thing. Nobody will miss it. Um, I deserve it. Um, Then it was, you know, I deserve it. Um, The idea that it will fix a problem, that I will take this and it will fix this sense of sadness or grief or loss. Um, Another, you know, again, just a little something. It's no biggie. Everyone does it. That was one of them. Everybody does this. Why shouldn't I? Um, Out of a sense of anger for uh, revenge. So the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth um, justification. Um, Then um, the one where you're actually really not um, in touch with anyone but yourself. Um, You know, that this is, you're going to do it. You have no consideration for the consequences for anyone else at all. Um, So completely shut down. Um, Just simple not understanding. Um, We were ranged from children who would not understand the consequences of their actions because they're not intellectually mature enough to people who are incapacitated by drugs or alcohol or, you know, mental illness. Um, Someone who's just self-centered, you know, again, narcissistic. You know, if I want it, it must be okay for you too. Um, Someone said just sheer laziness. They're just lazy. They want it. They don't want to work for it. They're going to take it. 
um, um, a physical thrill. So someone whose life is, for whatever reason, uh, I, I actually thought of the, the Hollywood stars who have millions of dollars who shoplift. You know, that there must be some kind of real physical thrill that happens with that. Um, so, and that, that would fill some emptiness, some sense of incompleteness. Um, then we move to our Jean Valjean uh, area where there was, you know, a moral and ethical dilemma about, um, you know, my children are starving, I'm going to steal the bread, I can justify it that way. Hunger and desperation, and then also on a more grandiose level, just really believing you're doing it for the higher good. What, what you know, ranging from um, Snowden. Snowden to, uh, you know, Iraq, Vietnam, uh-huh. the Bolshevik res- res- you know, revolution, mm-hmm. you name it. We can, all that. So, great, great, wonderful. That's a lot, I mean, that's a, a lot of things to think about. Good. And then the alternatives. Is it still on? Yes. So we had, um, when the impulse arises to take what is not given, what are the alternatives? So um, we had a great discussion. And uh, uh, so I'll talk talk a little or hold it better. Okay. Um, So I'll just uh, list off all the things we we thought of. um, What one could... uh, ask for whatever the thing is. From If we know who can authorize giving it, we can ask for it. Um, we can sit with the not having of whatever the thing or the experience is and use that as a subject for inquiry. We um, can check in on what really is the need and um, consider whether it has to be met or not. You know, there's always the alternative to just let it go. Um, <clears throat> uh, use a, use the urge as the material for looking at need versus desire. Uh, reflect on the negative consequences. For example, somebody gave the uh, example of uh, taking a Snickers bar, even though it was uh, freely given um, at lunchtime. Uh, there was a negative consequence of falling asleep later due to the sugar <laughs> rebound. Um, so, uh, reflecting on the negative consequences, um, uh, one could ask others if the thing has been offered and you just don't know about it. Um, could consider if we understand the culture. You know, some, in some people's homes, it's okay to look at the coffee table book. Some people's homes, it's not, depending on sort of what culture they've created in their home. Uh, consider whether there are other ways to meet the need buy one's own pencil get a job (laughs) Uh, and and all the ramifications of why don't I have a job and do I not feel good about myself and blah 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 Um, uh, and then we got into patience just wait and um, uh, see if the uh, opportunity or the desire for the thing might just pass Uh, wait, something better might be freely given um, and uh, uh, another, uh, the, our last uh, alternative was to um, uh, feel the urge and use it as a um, 
motivation to consider the consequences um, for the person who we we took the thing from. Great, um, wonderful. Thank you. So I hope that uh, <clears throat> uh, these four kinds of questions uh, and the exploration of them. Uh, uh, help you understand that wisdom, the wisdom or understanding side, is not a static thing. It's not like, you know, you read a book or you have an experience and boom, you know, now you carry it with you and you're wise ever after. But it also takes uh, some reflection and consideration. And, um, and these are some of the key areas of reflection that are encouraged in Buddhism. The, the consequences are really important. The source within us is really important to look at. And then the alternatives. Uh, and I think the first three can help us understand the alternatives as well. And the last one is the one that I see that some people are pretty negligent at because, it, you know, you have to do work. You have to, you know, this idea of deserving or the easy way uh, in ethical actions. Some, it's just easier to sometimes to, you know, take it. <laughs> you know, to go find who you're supposed to ask and get a job and you know, all these different things, you know, it's more work, right? And so, but it takes, you know, so this active consideration, what are the alternatives? And are there alternatives that are better, but that's interesting, better for you? So if you feel like you want to take something that's not been, hasn't clearly been given, um, uh, is it better for you? Are there ways of doing it? Um, So that's um, four areas of wisdom. So, Comments on that? Questions? Yes, so this is a reflective group. So if we went to San Quentin and asked some of them, some of the men there, what are some of the alternatives to stealing? You might get a different set. other sources of an ethical action that uh, that were mentioned or that were not mentioned or you don't remember they were mentioned I mean the one that I don't think I I say one that I don't think I heard was fear fear yeah insecurity that uh, attempt to be secure. I don't craving, Good old craving and greed. Good old yeah, <laughs> seems pretty basic for this particular one. 
wanting to fit in the group. Yeah, everyone else is stealing, so got to go along. Feeling of lack. Feeling of lack. It was funny when I... Um, I used to have this... Uh, back then, it was an old Toyota. And I used to live... When I moved down to the peninsula here, I was quite happy when I lived in San Francisco with my old Toyota. I didn't think twice about it. At some point, I was driving... We, we had a sitting group in Palo Alto. And at some point, I, I noticed that I think I had like the, one of the oldest cars in Palo Alto. And, uh, and then I started noticing that I wanted a new car. But if in San Francisco, I would have been content with it. But something about the context and the lack, you know, poor me. <laughs> the Tesla effect. Still waiting? Tesla, Tesla effect. effect. They do? Well, I do. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, see, I'm sorry for you. You don't have your Tesla yet? Oh. I'm sorry. It must be rough. Um, I was in the group that considered the sources, but I did think of another one. Of um, You know, you know uh, may, may give, you, give, give you a lesson that I just realized recently on using the mic. Is... Uh, when you talk, you have a usual way of hearing your voice and you're familiar with how it was like, oh. but you actually want to do more than your usual voice. You want to actually hear yourself uh, louder in the mic. So you have to hold it close enough so you start hearing yourself more than you normally would. Okay. Um, okay. You hear That's that difference? It? Okay, yeah. Um, I was in the group uh, on the source, and this, didn't, this just came to me is also um, from knowing the situation uh, of thinking that you're smart enough to get away with it, oh. that that you can you can get around the system. Yeah, yeah smart enough to get away game. with it. And some people, it's a game. Yeah, you know, this, but to get away with it. This, let's see what I can do. Great. So, <clears throat> so ethics, training, and then wisdom. The using your wisdom faculty to consider and reflect. <clears throat> and one of the ways to, uh, to train yourself to become more ethical is to train yourself to be more active in your uh, reflections, in your wisdom, in your discernment, in your consideration of uh, what you're involved in. Uh, I, I believe it's fair enough to say that the way that Buddhism is sometimes taught in the West, or Vipassana is taught, uh, it emphasizes non-discursive awareness uh, and discourages discursive activity and reflection. And um, I think that works very well for meditation, but doesn't work for the rest of our lives. And there's definitely a place for reflection and consideration. And, <clears throat> and uh, ethics is one of those areas. Because there's also uh, areas, which we'll see when we come back, that um, uh, um, it takes some reflection and consideration to realize that maybe what you're doing is unethical. Because on the surface, it might seem as completely ethical. So uh, we'll do that when we come back. So we'll take a 15-minute break and come back for the last uh, half an hour.
And so I like uh, sitting in circles because it uh, creates a clearer sense of community. We're all in it together and we can see each other in a nice way and and for the end of the day it's nice to do it this way. And maybe since we are in this configuration, um, I'd like uh, us to go around with the mic and say uh, our names. Uh, Not not that we're going to remember, but it's it's nice to hear everybody's voice. Do you know where the mic is? Yes, you can start with you. Hi, my name is Dawn. Hello, I'm Robert. Alan. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm Pilar. I'm Marcy. Ginny. My name's Bob. Judy. Marie. Kevin. Sarah. Mark. Beatrice. Cheryl. Linda. Claudine. Catherine. Kate. Fiona. Ted. Today my name is Jewel. (laughs) Changes. (laughs) I'm Sally. I'm Yuichi. Augusta. So, um, <clears throat> a, for many people, an important wisdom consideration is our interconnectedness, the degree to which we're all interconnected, both as a mutual benefit society that we can benefit each other, we benefit others and there's a way in which we benefit ourselves, we benefit ourselves in the way in which doing that we benefit others, but also as a, a mutual harming society. We harm someone else and there's a way in which we harm ourselves as a consequence. If we harm ourselves, there's a way in which that also harms others. And so in our interconnectedness, the way that people relate to each other, know each other, affect each other, um, there's many ways in which we're interconnected and our, our actions have an effect on the wider world that, that, uh, that uh, comes back to us, kind of you know, all this, the circular way of action. And so part of the consideration of um, not taking what's not given is what society do we want to live in and what um, effects do we, want to, you know, do we want to have come back to us. So you might benefit from taking the pencil from work or something worse uh, in the moment, but then you uh, suffer from living in a culture of work that uh, no one trusts each other. Maybe no one catches you stealing, but somehow it contributes to the culture. It seems okay to do this, and then pretty soon you know it's, it's a very different culture you're living in, and, and you don't feel comfortable living in a place where that happens. Uh, well, how do, so the question is, well, how do we contribute to the wider culture? How do we support the interconnected world in such a way we all benefit? Uh, is part of the uh, orientation of Buddhism with a lot of different questions uh, in our lives. The, um, uh, and so one of the questions has to do, one of the issues of, I think, that fits under the category of taking what's given, it has to do with economics. 
the economic systems that we're part of and how we participate in the economic system and how we use our money, what we buy, how we buy, how we acquire our money, um, how we acquire wealth, uh, the distribution of money, um, uh, the acquisition of uh, more and more wealth by a smaller, smaller group of people. These are all issues that could be seen to fit underneath the category of, of um, taking what's not given. And, uh, and how do we consider these things that are larger than what's directly in front of us? I mean, so the pencil's right there. You take the pencil or you don't. But, um, but then there's, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if you're able to uh, get a really good job um, and make a good, really good income, it's a reasonable job, they hired you for this job, they offered you the job, and the job is to be, um, you know, CEO of Apple Computer, and you know you have this outrageous salary. Um, is that is it ethical? Is that taking what's not given? It's given, right? It's given freely, and seemingly. But uh, are there considerations about the, what the ethics of that are in a wider society? Uh, is that money really been re- uh, taken in in a way where it makes sense to say yes? I'm I'm taking what's given because the stockholders or the the board of directors voted to that they should give this to me. But where does the money come from? And and who's responsible for this money, and what's the spirit of it, and what's, the, what's, what's embedded in terms of the social contract of what we're trying to do in a society, uh, in the communicate, what gets communicated, what gets in money, and uh, who has the money, who doesn't have the money. I think these bigger, bigger kind of considerations fall under this, this category of, of uh, you know, considering what is it to take what's not given. The... Um, um, now, in Buddhism, uh, in the ancient myths of Buddhism, the social ills, including things like stealing and violence, are all traced back to poverty. And, uh, and so one of the responsibilities of a ruler in the ancient world was to prevent poverty among the people. And so do whatever they could to do that. And uh, so in America, we have this wonderful, uh, United States, this wonderful system where in theory, at least, um, we're all rulers. We're all citizens responsible for our society and everything. And in that regard, are we then also responsible for addressing the issues of poverty in our, co- our, in our, our country? Uh, or has that had nothing to do with me? You know, I, you know, leave me alone, that's somewhere else. And my money, my wealth, you know, I need it for my security, or I need it, or I deserve it. Um, is, there no, is there a solid barrier between our economic, personal economic life and the economic life of others elsewhere. Um, so uh, it seems to me that in the ancient world, uh, in the time of the Buddha, that the wider social issues were part and parcel of what the worldview, part of the consideration was. It wasn't only a go into the forest and meditate tradition. Um, so how do we, in our world, uh, live, w- live with this? Uh, how do we consider it? Um, uh, so some of the questions are, do the things that we buy, the goods we buy, we have the money, legitimately earned. Uh, we, um, we buy something that's legitimately put in the stores to be sold. But if you look at the component parts of it, some of those parts, like some of the computer parts that are, some of the, uh, some of the um, uh, metals that are in computers, um, it's kind of questionable how it got to us, you know, the, how it wasn't the place was mined, the the, uh, the local 
um, um, people who lived in that area? Were they consulted before their <coughs> uh, territory was devastated by these mines that bring out these somewhat rare metals that go into making computers? Uh, are we taking what's not given if they were not asked uh, for it? Um, you have you know diamond mines in Angola and various places. So if you buy diamonds, it's freely you know it's freely for sale. You buy it, it's you know someone gives it to you, freely taken. But uh, then there's slave labor that brings these um, you know they, they call they call them blood diamonds, right? Uh, do we have a responsibility? Do we have a role to consider how it comes to us? And is it legitimate to consider that some things are not given? because of how the original source it was acquired. Or are we innocent? That's not our business. <laughs> We're safe and content here and, and you know it's being offered in the store and therefore I'll buy it. I think these larger issues uh, uh, require, um, are, um, if, if, if we're interested in these issues, um, we require, uh, it requires more than sitting and meditating in a non-discursive way. It requires reflection, and it requires, edu- it requires education, learning about this. And so, uh, you know, for some people, unfortunately, it requires work. You know, you have to learn and educate yourself about the life you're living and the tentacles of how your life affects the world around you. So the wisdom part of uh, the three, three trainings, uh, I suggest, includes uh, education, in- includes learning, includes an active part of something we have to do and engage in. It isn't only, uh, I don't know if you remember, if some of you are old enough remember Mr. Natural. You know, the, he was the, uh, I don't know if you can go on the web and look up Mr. Natural cartoons, comics. Uh, he was a kind of an icon of the hippies. Mr. Natural would sit in the desert meditating. Beautiful, you know, this, this classic sage with a long robe and long hair and long beard and Kind of, kind of plump and cozy-looking guy, and he would sit there in the desert meditating. And then they'd put in a road. Then they'd put in a city, a t- some buildings, and then a city, and then expressways, and and uh, you know, and these you know, pretzel ex- pretzel things like the maze over in Berkeley in Oakland, right? And the whole city would arise around. He's still just meditating. And then eventually the civilizations would decay and crumble and go to dust and he's just sitting there, Mr. Natural. Just being Mr. Natural, the world passes by and doesn't do anything. So we can be Mr. Natural, you know. And there are some people, I'm kind of making fun of it, but there are people in the Buddhist world who that, they think that's what the wise thing to do is to be unengaged, uninvolved. Um, that somehow all you have to rely on is what's right in front of you immediately, that you, your good heart and your and you're, you know, just what's here. Um, uh, is that the full working of the wisdom side of Buddhism? I don't think so. The other side of Buddhism is, is educating, learning, and considering what the impacts we have of our lives on this interconnected world that we live in. So, uh, for example, when I spend money, uh, I consider uh, money to be kind of sacred because I think of money as, as having a spin and depending where I, what I, how I spend the money I put a spin on that money it goes a certain direction 
So if I buy cigarettes, that puts a certain spin and that supports certain kind of things in our society. Uh, if I buy organic food, that puts a different spin on it and it supports other things in our society. And so there's many things, you know, that we can, if we consider what we're spending money on, what are the ramifications? What are we, what are we uh, setting in motion? What, are we, what momentum, what spin are we continuing in our society? There are some spins that uh, money gets used for, or momentum, that I wish would just uh, spin, you know, come to a stop and not go anymore. And some things which are good to kind of keep going. So I, th- I consider when I, when I spend my money, um, I think it's kind of sacred. Kind of a, it's kind of my participation in a wider system of, sp- of the spin, you know, of the momentum of our society. And, and I have a choice. What do I want to put my... Uh, what, do I, what do I want to contribute to? And what do I want to not contribute to? Uh, so that's a different consideration than just looking at something and saying, you know, I want that. <laughs> that would be nice for me. I need that. So, our, our, how we participate in the economic system as fitting into this topic of taking what's not given. So, what do you think of that? Do you think this is a, it fits underneath here? Or what do you, in what ways do you think it fits in, in this category? Any of you want to suggest other ways that it maybe fits? It's the consequences of our actions. So, the, what we buy and what we do and how we invest, um, uh, where we work, all these things have consequences that spread out beyond us. So we take that into account. Um, so, there, there was the fire at the Bangladeshi um, clothing factory not all that long ago and it came out that certain you know clothing retailers buy some part of their their clothes you know from factories like that and you know sometimes you can you know maybe you buy those clothes and there's no you know injured Bangladeshi worker standing next to the pants section but <laughs> when you find out later that maybe you have participated, then you then you begin to feel the hurt that you cause someone else. So, a lot of times we don't we don't know it, right. but then there are those times when the news breaks or we do find out, and it does it feels terrible. So the invisible world that we're part of, the part that we don't see unless we educate ourselves and learn about. Thank you. Um, uh, uh, someone forwarded a website to me about... Um, Can you hear th- yourself special? Oh, there okay. we go. There I go. <laughs> okay, I was uh, forwarded a, a website on uh, the slavery footprint of your purchases. The slavery the footprint. The slavery footprint. And um, so I took their little test, and, um, you know, how you purchase, where you purchase, what you buy. Um, and... and um, it was very surprising mm. because uh, it's not clear where things are coming from, uh, but these people have done a lot of research of where, you know, and, yeah. and so what kind of lives are we supporting or businesses are, are we supporting? And I think there's, it's due diligence to get that information. Yeah.
I'm going to talk first. <laughs> I, I just um, I want to mention that I also um, encountered that site, and it started me on a, a process of really rethinking, not just from an environmental standpoint, but from a human rights standpoint, um, what choices are in in buying and. Um, one of the considerations that I, I started making was in reusing, um, buying used or being more content. Like, and what are the, yeah, there's actually, um, perhaps it's unquantifiable in, um, we can't possibly know it ourselves, but there may well be a huge benefit to others in simply being content with a little bit less. Next time you reach for your cell phone, it turns out there's a, some part of it. It starts with a C, but there's something that's mined in the Congo, and every single cell phone has to have it. So if we keep thinking we have to have the next best cell phone and the next best cell phone, I mean, cells are so integrally involved in our lives now, but if you just look up cell, Congo, and this mineral or something, all of them have it, and it's really horrendous things that are happening in terms of mining it and people you know, the slavery kind of thing. It's just, it's pretty awful. Well, that just reminded me about the um, gigantic coolers that Facebook put in Norway someplace so they can suck the cold off the Arctic Circle to cool the computers that run Facebook. Uh, two things um, it's no longer in Palo Alto but I highly recommend um, Robert Reich's film Inequality for All um, it's actually quite entertaining uh, with great graphics it's not just a college lecture, as you may have, have heard. It's, and his personal story woven through it is, is really quite moving. Um, secondly, um, my husband got my engagement ring off the Internet. But um, when it came time for our wedding rings, um, we've spent a fair amount of time in Montana and um, where they're fighting... Per- Every now and then it keeps coming up whether there's going to try to do a gold mine up on the Blackfoot River, which would, uh, and it, it's a, oh, I forget what the leaching thing is that they do to get the gold out, but it's, it's really bad. Hmm? Cyanide leaching, yes, excuse me. Cyanide leaching to get the gold out, and it would just, you know, ruin um, um, the fishery, et cetera, down, downstream. Um, and so Rob went online, and we got placer gold. Meaning, mind the old, you know, the old way the 49ers were doing with the panning, apparently. And then we found a jewelry in Palo Alto who said, if you can get it and have it done in a certain way, you know, I'll make the rings. So that's, that's what we did. And I, I know we all have examples of things like that, but that was just a little out of the ordinary. So I thought I'd mention it. Um. I, I've recently uh, lived up in um, the Placer mining area, and actually, you know, there are negative consequences to that too. I'm afraid um, the uh, Native American people consider all gold to be 
slave gold or you know destruction of their homeland gold all gold that came from um western from the california area you know it destroyed the lives of uh, the native tribes so i, I don't know it, it's um i'm not saying that you're wrong i'm just saying that you know if you go back historically, yeah. Um, so just, you know, the deeper we look, um, it's sort of, I don't know the answers, but certainly consume less seems like a good way to go. <laughs> so we're coming to the end. And um, so I wasn't trying to uh, it wasn't my intention to try to have conclusions about this topic, of um, but uh, uh, we live. I think one of the ethical issues uh, that are societal, that our society we 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 look at, that is part of our social life, wider life, is how we participate in the economic system of production and consumption that we have, in, and um, and uh, what are the ethical issues that are playing out there. And what does it mean to take what's not given in the context of the wider economy? It, it are, this has to do with you know some political theory, economic theory, or I, or or or, um, or um, I guess preferences, politics. But uh, 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 from the Buddhist point of view, poverty lays at the basis of all social ills, and uh, and um, and so. How do we address the issues of poverty? Do we, what, how do we, what do we do to address those issues? And, and what is our role in the distribution of wealth and money in our society? Uh, do, do we have a role? Do we have, um, are we oblivious of that role? Or do we participate in an economic system, in economic theory, that uh, does not redistribute the money and the wealth in a way that's equitable to everyone? Do we are we content with an inequitable system because of some of those things we mentioned earlier? Like I deserve it, I earned it, it's mine. Um, is the motivation for uh, consumption personal only, for my own pleasure, for my own benefit, for my own security, or is the purpose of consumption also uh, to better others and better the world around us? So one of so part of this wisdom of interconnectedness that we're all interconnected in some way, uh, lends itself to the idea that uh, it doesn't make sense to live a life of consumption that's only based on what my needs are and what my desires and wants are, but rather to live a life of consumption that takes into account the interconnected world, the social world that we're all part of and influenced by. And, um, and the theory here is that uh, we would be better off as individuals, wealthy people are better off if they weren't quite as wealthy and more people came out of poverty. That we all benefit from that as a, as a group because of the mu- way we're a mutual benefit society, right? And so taking what's not given uh, uh, brings ourselves into this other realm. So there's three trainings. Uh, one is a training in restraint that uh, is also training in things like contentment, in uh, holding one's tongue, holding one's hand, and keeping one's hands in one's pocket rather than the power of restraint. The other is the training in uh, personal cultivation, developing what I like to call greater ethical sensitivity by being more in touch with oneself 
and being more in touch with the present moment than being more in touch with others as well. And from that, uh, becoming freer of greed, freer of hate, freer, freer of fear, so that the third uh, training, with training in wisdom, can operate most effectively. So that we, we can actually engage in the kind of reflections that you guys engaged in, uh, uh, taking a serious look at consequences. The consequences for me personally, but uh, this is the important part that's often overlooked, the consequences that spread out beyond us. And the, ne- and the network, the chain of consequences, not just the immediate one. Um, what are the sources inside of us? And what are the alternatives? And then can we bring that into um, not just our personal lives, but into our wider participation in our social world? Um, I think that without uh, um, bringing ethics into our wider world that we live in, um, the ethics is <clears throat> only half-baked. But how we bring it into our wider world um, is a, you know, depends on a lot of different factors and reflections and consideration. And uh, I think it's a little bit too easy to have quick ideas. Once you get into this kind of societal kind of issues, um, it's remarkable how quickly people have well, uh, I was going to say well-informed opinions, have uh, uh, well-formed opinions that are ill-informed. And so it takes education. So I would like to suggest that part of an ethical life and part of ethical training is to do, the, do some homework from time to time. And uh, like this website, what was it called, the website? Uh, Slavery Footprint. Slavery Footprint. So I don't know if there are other ones as well that talk about some of the uh, environmental and social impacts of, the, of our, of our um, you know, patterns of consumption. For the here. carbon footprint there. So, um, so next time we meet, which will be in December, we will look at the uh, ethics of sexuality. So. That'll have a different flavor than today. <laughs> so for those of you who, one way or the other, sexuality is of some relevance, you might think of coming. And we'll explore some of that, what the Buddhism has to say. And, but in particular, again, remember the, the foundation of this series is uh, uh, the role of mindfulness, mindfulness training for living an ethical life. So, and, and uh, part of the beauty of the mindfulness training, it loosens up or frees us sometimes from um, ethics being moralistic. It, it gives us another another point of view of how to live an re- uh, ethical life, and I think it's a great contribution to uh, to uh, have ethics arise out of our hearts because of we're trained in goodness as opposed to coming out of rules. So may the benefit of today be shared with everyone everywhere so that all beings everywhere can live, can be pulled out of poverty, free of poverty. On these days, uh, we ask for six or seven volunteers to help with a basic cleaning. It takes about 10 minutes, the bathrooms and the rug here and stuff. Do we have uh, some volunteers who could stay? So one, two, three, four, five, 
six, great. So uh, Dawn is the manager, so if you can check with her, so and uh, she'll tell you what you know different things to be done. And thank you for your help, and thanks you all for coming today. <laughs>